0: As we worship together. Today and every day in the life of the believer is a chance to celebrate our risen Savior, a perfect Savior who lived a sinless life on our behalf. So, on the good days and the bad, we can sing out and praise the Lord, for He is good.
1: my good hallelujah what a say Some home to bring. oh now a new this song we'll sing. Hallelujah! What a say.
0: into your presence this morning with thanksgiving we want to come into your courts with praise
1: jesus we praise you sing out hallelujah pardon me. We surrender to you, Jesus. What a Savior, Redeemer and King. Your love has rescued See wow. Jesus' name
2: When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his
0: church this morning, I want to invite us to do something a little bit different. So y'all may have a seat. We're going to continue to sing and worship, but I also want to direct our hearts to a specific thing that we're going to pray about together as a body of believers this morning. It seems like it's going by quickly. Maybe for some, it seems like it's dragging, but we just entered into a new year. We're in the year 2024. And again, sometimes these things can just be tick marks on a calendar. But each day is a gift from the Lord and an opportunity for us to reach our family, our community, our neighbors for the gospel. And this church is not just this building, and going to church is not just a thing that we do. It's not just about being here in this room together. We are the church, okay? It's a thing that we are. And what the church does is, we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the community in Livingston and Polk County and Onalaska Cold Spring and Woodville, everything around here. That is our mission field to which we are supposed to bring the gospel. So, this morning, as we continue to sing, we're going to praise the Lord, but I invite you to pray during that time. You can stand up and sing when you're ready, you can remain seated and pray the whole time. This is your time to worship the Lord and to connect with Him and pray specifically that Central Baptist Church would be God's instrument in this community for the gospel. That lives would be changed, that chains would be broken, that addiction would cease to exist, that God would be glorified in Livingston through his work here in his body at Central. Let's pray and let's sing.
1: I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to craven idols. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no other God. I equipped you, though you do not know me. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speaks. Here I am. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would just fill us with your spirit, Lord. Hallelujah. to be
3: Amen. Take a seat. Good morning, y'all. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to worship once again. I want to encourage you as we pray together to pray for two things this morning. Um, We're going to pray together um, for life. This is what is known in our country right now among churches and among believers, among Christians as the sanctity of human life Sunday. And uh, we as a church believe in human life. We don't just are not just anti-abortion, okay? We believe in mothers, we believe in totalitarian of care, uh, the, 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 the care of the mother, but also beyond abortion, beyond babies. We believe in foster care, we believe in adoption, we believe in the elderly, we believe in those that have special needs, and we believe firmly and strongly in the gift of life, because in the value of human life, because God values human life. And so this morning we're going to pray and thank the Lord for, uh, for all that God has been doing in our country, and our nation. You know, Roe versus Wade, just going back to that issue, was overturned just a couple of years ago. And uh, we're thankful that even in our own state right now we have a heartbeat bill um, and that our state legislature and Governor Abbott and others uh, make sure that that was passed in our state. We're thankful for that. But also on this Sunday, um, as we pray Um, As I said last Sunday, tomorrow morning, tomorrow, we're going to kick off 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so I just want to read for you a quick quote in a verse of scripture. And I want to show you this little prayer guide that we have in the lobby today. It's very simple. There's no bells and whistles to this. This is all about prayer and fasting. And you can pick it up in the lobby today. You can also pick it over up in the connection point. But I just want to call our congregation to a season of prayer and fasting. We're going to do this together. Um, We're going to fast on the Tuesdays. And so the three Tuesdays during the 21 days, I want to encourage you to be a part of fasting and participate in fasting. You could. Partake in a partial fast. You could skip one meal or two meals uh, that particular day. You could also do a full fast. You could not eat throughout the entire day. Um, or you could do a caloric fast. That's what I encourage sometimes people to do because you need to consult your doctor when it comes to things like this. And maybe take maybe six 800 calories out of your diet that particular day. The whole purpose of it is to go without in order to get our minds and our hearts focused on the Lord. And so on those three particular Tuesdays, we're going to fast as a church, but we're also going to be praying, and that's what this prayer guide is for. On this prayer guide, you're going to find verses of scripture each day, and then one particular thing to pray for. And this is what I want to encourage you to do, is to pray with us. There's a kind of a description of prayer and fasting on the front page there for us. And we're going to start tomorrow morning. It's going to take us up through February the 11th, which will be Sunday the 11th of February. And we're going to celebrate that day, all that God is doing. We want to pray for breakthrough. We want to pray for God to move in our congregation, in our homes, in our families, in us as individuals. God's going to do a great work. So I want to read for us just one quote from E.M. Bounds, who is a uh, great writer who wrote so much on prayer. This is what he says about intimacy with God. Walking with God down the awareness, or um, the avenues, rather, of prayer, we acquire something of his likeness. Walking with God down the avenues of prayer, we acquire something of his likeness, and unconsciously we become witness to others of his beauty and grace. That's what prayer does in your life. You walk with God. That's what God wants in your life. He wants intimacy with him in your life. Listen to what John 14, 23 says. Jesus himself taught us. He invited us in to his presence. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. God wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't want just casual Christianity. He doesn't want religious activity. He wants your heart. He wants your obedience. He wants your devotion. He wants your desperation. And I got to for you that when we as a congregation come to that point as individuals, collectively as a whole, God will move. God is moving and God will continue to move. So let's pray and this morning, and let's just gather our hearts as we pray and commit ourselves to three weeks of this. And uh, let's also pray and praise God for, all that God's doing when it comes to life in our nation. But let's continue to pray that God would lead us and teach us as a congregation to value human life just as he does. And so why don't we pray together and then we'll look at God's word uh, this morning. Father, thank you this morning for the time that we have to come to you. Thank you for the music that we've been singing, the truth that that music, Lord, draws us to. It didn't draw us to ourselves. It didn't, Lord, focus on us. It did not focus on our ability to somehow save ourselves or somehow help ourselves to get better in life or to somehow remove things from our lives. It pointed us to you. The hymns that we sang, the spiritual songs that we sang, Lord, led us to you. You reminded us, Lord, of your name and how worthy you are and how great you are. You reminded us of heaven, Lord, of what heaven will be like and how, Lord, on this earth, we face tribulation and we face the difficult days, but Lord, this is not our home. And we come into this room, Lord, facing all kinds of suffering and struggles and, and, and diseases and, and disappointment and discouragement and depression and all of the things that, Lord, we have to walk through here on this earth, but we are reminded this is not our home. We're reminded this morning of the solid rock in which we stand, and that is on you, Jesus Christ. You, Lord Jesus, are our rock. We are not a church that is into ourselves. We are a church that stands on you, Jesus, and you alone. Without you, Lord, we are just a humanitarian organization, a social club that has no spiritual transformative impact upon our community, upon our lives, upon the people around the world. But Lord, through you, Jesus, we have incredible impact it is your holy spirit that works it is your word that continues to wash over our life like waves of an ocean continuing to change us and mold us and to shape us into the men the women the teenagers the children that you've called us to be you alone lord deserve the worship and the praise we put our focus and our attention upon you we thank you that you value human life Lord, we read in Psalm 139 of how David spoke of you. He remembered his own life as he began to speak and talk to you, Lord. And he saw himself as someone who was formed in his his mother's womb by you. You fashioned and you made him in your image. You remind us this morning that, Lord, every life matters to you whether it's the unborn or whether it's the elderly or whether it's the one who struggles with special needs or has special needs in this world and walks through life and that with that life, every life matters to you. We thank you this morning that you value human life and we as a church affirm that this morning. God, continue to save lives in our communities, continue to save lives around the, this nation. Continue to use the church in communities. Continue to use organizations like Grace Pregnancy in our community to continue to value human life and provide what is needed for mothers and for families, Lord, that we would be a part of transforming lives and heralding, Lord, the value of human life. God, as a church, we come to you. because We want to seek you. We want to see you and you're the manifestation of your presence among us, that you would show yourself to us over the next three weeks. Oh, there are things we're praying for, God. There are things that we have continued to bring to you, names that we have brought before you, initiatives we have brought before you, challenges we have brought before you in our homes, in our marriages, in our families as a church. We're bringing them to you again. And Lord, would you sharpen our minds? Would you draw us, Lord, closer to you? Would you turn the focus of our attention towards you that we would be a people that would be more desperate, be a people that would be more uh, focused on you, focused on understanding that, Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing, that we would be a people that, Lord, abide in you and you abide in us, Lord Jesus, that we would bear much fruit. You tell us a lot about prayer, Lord, in your word. You continue to call us to prayer. You've modeled prayer for us and your disciples. Oh, that you would find us as a people who would be praying and fasting as best we can, as best as you've taught us how, as best as we continue to be encouraged by others in doing. Lord, to continue to seek your face, to pray, to fast. And so, Lord, may we pick up these prayer guides as individuals. May we commit the next 21 days to seeking your face on behalf of our own hearts on behalf of our families, on behalf of our church and our community around us, God. We love you, Lord. We commit this time to you as we turn our attention to your word, open our hearts, our minds, that you would show us your glory, show us your purposes, show us your promises, that we would put them to practice in our everyday life. We love you, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well. It's good to be with you this morning. I hope you survived the cold everything in the past week. Hope nobody's pipes burst. It was a crazy week. It's one of those weeks that was a short week, and uh, we hit the ground running this week. So. But I hope you, uh, hope you fared pretty well. Um, I want to encourage you to take a Bible and open to the book of Philippians. It seems like forever ago we were in Philippians, but we're, this morning we're going to pick back up and we're going to drive home uh, the, what God wants us to see out of this incredible book for the church as we look and turn our hearts towards um, what it means to live with gospel uh, be gospel people, uh, a church that is focused, and uh, a family as individuals that are focused on the gospel. You know what happened in 2018 was something that, uh, that I had quite honestly never seen before among a U.S. president, the 41st president of the United States. You remember, you know who he is? George H. W. Bush. Remember him? He was a president, and he had served as a president for several years. There are those four years, but he served under President Reagan. Um, but he had passed away in 2018. And if you remember, the, the, all the eyes and the focus and the attention were on Houston and Texas in particular, and all because he was here, and this is where he held his home. And so his, his life was memorialized in so many ways in 2018. It was pretty remarkable. Um, something about... Um, a life that's lived in public, that sometimes is overlooked. We tend to think about people's accolades. We think about the accomplishments. We think about the awards. We think about the people that an individual touched. And I've done a lot of memorial services and a lot of funerals in my ministry. And um, one of the things that I always listen for is what a person is known for, character-wise. Not necessarily what they did in their life, but what are they known for? Who is the person? that's what I listen for. Sometimes people share, you know, memorialize their loved one or their friend and so forth, but this is what I'm listening for. And if you listen to all of the memorial services, if you listen to all of the, the multiple, not only memorial service, but, but just how President Bush was, was um, memorialized, these were words that came off of, literally off the pages. When you read articles about him, when you heard the testimony about his life, this is, these are four words that I, I picked up on that I remembered back then. It was One was character. He had a high character. He was respected. He was kind. And he was a servant. And whether you disagreed with him or agreed with him politically, that's really irrelevant. Those are words that I wish all of our politicians would have in this day and age, Right? Beyond what kind of policies, beyond what kind of deals are made, being made, re- regardless of what kind of hearings are being held, it, it, our, our politicians need these kinds of words ingrained in them, character, someone who is respected, someone who is kind, someone who is a servant. Those are the kinds of words I want to be known for. President H.W. Bush was known, and he gave an example, of a serv- service-centered life. If you go back and look at his life, you'll see that, and you read about him. Here's what we're going to do. Today and next Sunday, we're going to look at two men that the Apostle Paul points out for the church in Philippi, that God points out for us, as examples, examples of what it means to be a person who is a partner in ministry. These were two men that he's going to point out who are true and genuine partners in ministry, and we see their character here. We see their background here. We see who they were. And it should also drive us to be the kind of people that these two men were. This morning, we're going to look only at Timothy. I want you to look with me in your Bibles at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off. There, as you see in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I learned early on in life when someone is saved and when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ, they are called and they are purposed for ministry. We are saved for ministry. We are saved to be put into practice. We have this holy calling. We have this holy purpose that God somehow puts upon our life, right? I'm called to orient my life around it. I'm called to, to, to join it, the, the idea of ministry in the local church. I'm to orient my life around a local church. When God saves me, I join a local church, I become part of that local church, and then I build my life around the local church. That's God's design. That's not central. That's not Pastor Sonny. That's God's design. When you read the New Testament, the Christians, the followers of Jesus Christ, were not independent from one another. They lived life in the context of community. The church in Philippi, the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus. They were a people that committed themselves to Christ and to one another. We see that over and over again, that expectation, if you will, of Jesus Christ, that assumption of the New Testament in our lives. So when God saves you, he then calls you And this is how he builds his church. This is how, by the way, he impacts and influences a community for Christ. This is how the light that is then shown from a local church impacts darkness in a particular community and transforms it and changes it. Local schools and in people's lives and homes, it's the light that shines from the local church. When God saves me, he then puts me in ministry. It's that holy calling, that holy purpose that God puts and does in my life. So the church is not the structure, I think that was mentioned earlier. It's not the building. It's not this building. It could burn down tomorrow, this afternoon. When we leave it. The church is the people of God who've committed themselves to one another in church membership. It's the people of God right here at Central. These buildings could burn to the ground, right? And we could have a tornado or a hurricane that could come through and wipe it all out. Would the church be gone? No. The campus would be gone, the facilities would be gone, we would rebuild, yes, but the people of God, the church of the living God is still there. It is still active. The power of Christ is still on the move. The spirit of God is still at work. That's the notion and the nature of the local church and the beauty of the local church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. That's the beauty of it. We learn and understand that that when God saves us, he puts us into ministry and so he begins with the church. Uh, When we see this understanding and understand what God's doing here, um, he saves me and then he sets me loose to do ministry. One of the things I recognize and understand as a person who is saved is that I'm not alone. I'm never alone if that's the truth. And I have this community of people that are around me. So I work to be a good ministry partner. That's what God's called us all to do and called us all to be. We're ministry partners and therefore, not only am I called to be a ministry partner, but to seek out ministry partners who are around me. There's one thing I want you to remember this morning out of this text that we're going to walk through and kind of unpack this morning is that a partner in ministry is faithful. A partner in ministry is faithful. They are faithful to Christ and they are faithful to the church. Faithful to Christ, faithful to the church. Now listen, it's been a, it's been a few days. We've slept a few nights since we've been in Philippians. I want to remind you this morning of what the purpose of why Paul's even writing this letter to the church in Philippi. The purpose really comes back to chapter 1, verse 27. Look over there in your Bibles with me at that one verse. If there's one verse that summarizes all that Paul is saying to this church, all that God is saying to us, it's chapter 1, verse 27. This is what Paul says, Only let the your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come or see you or am absent, Paul says, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, that's unity, with one mind focused on what? The things of God, focused on him, striving side by side. That takes effort, that's work, that's intentionality, striving side by side for what? The faith of the gospel, right? I'll go in and continue on in verse 28, the first part of 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So he says, listen, Paul says he recognizes these Philippians, people of whom some of which, very few of them, but some of which he gave, he, he led to Christ. And then since he has left, more people have given their lives to Christ. Those people have, have witnessed and shared their testimony, and people have gotten saved, and the church has continued to grow, not just numerically, spiritually in depth. Jesus had changed them. Then he says, okay, then I want you to remember that you're to follow Christ, and the way that you follow Christ, by the way, we don't choose how to follow Jesus Christ. We choose to follow Christ the way he wants us to follow Christ, and so we live a certain way. We strive to be a certain type of people that God's called us to be under the shroud, if you will, the, the, the power that exists inside of us that enables us to live the Christian life and to strive to be the people he wants us to be. So we move from blending into our culture we move from blending into our schools, we move from blending into our community to standing out in our community, to standing out in our schools. That's what God calls us to. A gospel people, a gospel person is one who has been saved, baptized, part of a local church, and now in that God tells us, okay, don't blend in. Don't act like the rest of the world. Stand out from the world. Shine as stars. Shine as lights. You be the light that God wants in this community, in your school, in your home, in your family, whether you're the first and the only Christian in your family. You shine as a a light in that particular family. We're called to live a certain way. And so we live a life that's saved as a life that stands out. That's what Paul's been saying here, which then flows into this passage of which we just read. Now, Paul hoped to visit them. Remember, he's in prison When he's writing this, he had hoped to visit them, and he's pointing them to Jesus Christ, and he gives them this example of Timothy that he's going to send to them. He's pointed out to them already in chapter 2 the ultimate example of humility. The ultimate example of obedience is who? Jesus. But then he's going to send them a living example of what the gospel looks like, and that is Timothy Timothy was to go, he was to report back about the growth of the church. He wasn't to come back and say, hey, y'all, Timothy, or, Paul, guess what's happened? The church is now, it's now 500. It was 50 when we left. It's 500 now. Can you believe that? I don't think that was Timothy's report. You know what Timothy's report was going to be to, to Paul? You're never going to believe how the gospel has shaped this, this church's life. Their focus and their effort, their heart is on Jesus. You see, God always takes care of the breadth of the, of the church. We focus on the depth of our church. We focus on being healthy, spiritually-minded, gospel-focused, gospel-centered, intentionally-minded people. God takes care of the rest. One of the prayers that I pray on a Sunday morning often is I say, "Pray, God, would you bless us? Would you entrust us with lost people today? Would people come in these doors into our campus, into our room here because you would entrust us with lost people. It sounds like a strange prayer to pray, but listen, when we pray that and we think about that, if we are faithful to share the gospel, if we are faithful to live out the gospel, if we are faithful to interact with people in the hallways and really latch on to them because we know they are a person that was created in the image of God, and when we love them to Jesus and we share the good news of Jesus and are willing to share the truth of, the, of Jesus with them, Oh, that God would entrust us with more people, and he will. You see, where do to be people that stand out, that are focused on spiritual growth. That is what he was re- to report back to, 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 to Paul about their spiritual growth. So here's the question. How does God define what a faithful ministry partner looks like? How does God define what a faithful ministry partner would look like? Who does he want me to become and strive to be? What is he wanting me to build around my life? Well, as Paul writes here to the Philippian church, he points out several qualities of Timothy's life. And I want you to notice them this morning. If you're taking notes, write them down. Because these ought to be what you as as individuals and myself ought to be striving for. The deacons in our church, the men in our church, women in our church, you you ought to be striving to develop these kind of qualities, myself included, to be faithful ministry partners. And so notice with me first and foremost what Paul says about Timothy as he's writing to this church. He's about to send Timothy, but notice first of all that he has a genuine concern for the well-being of others. Look at verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Look at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul's reason for sending Timothy is right there in the beginning of verse 20. He says, I have no one like him. In other words, he is like-minded, like-minded like like Paul himself. He's like-minded in the sense of chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. This is what Paul's describing when it comes to Christ's humility. Back in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interests of others, but also to the inter- I'm sorry, interests of himself, but also the interests of others. He's describing that about Christ, and when he thinks about Timothy, there's no one like him. There's no one like Timothy who is around him when he thought about the person to send to the philippian church this is the person that comes to mind no one stood out about more than stood out who who care about the well-being of others like timothy that is who he thought of you see a faithful ministry partner when I think about that, when I strive to be that, has this general, just, just, this, this general care for other people. That means in my life and in your life, I ought to focus on and be intentional about getting in the lives of other people. I'm not talking about being nosy. I'm not talking about prying into personal conversations when you see two people over and you walk right up and you say, what are y'all talking about? I'm not talking about that now. But what I am talking about is this, you get in, into the lives of other people. If they're hurting and they're struggling, you move in. If they're celebrating and and God's doing something great in your life, you move in and you celebrate it. You high-five them. You be the greatest cheerleader, spiritually speaking, in their life. You get engaged and you get involved in other people's lives. By the way, when someone spiritually drifts, if you haven't seen them at church in a while, if you have not seen them and you know what's going on in their life, you move in. In a loving way, this is how you care for the well-being of others. Not just physically. I'm not talking about the meal trains, although those are great. I am talking about when someone spiritually drifts in their life, you move in, and in love, you have a cup of coffee with them. You go see them, and you say, hey, what's going on in your life? You need to come back to Christ. You need to come back to church, because when you come back to church, that's also being coming back to Christ, by the way, because the church is the body of Christ. To be a Christian is to be engaged and involved and committed in a local church, because it's there that God puts that covering in your life. He gives you a place in which you can serve, a place in which you can carry out the gospel in your life. You focus and be intentional on that very thing. So Paul says about Timothy, he had a genuine concern for the well-being of others. But not only that, a faithful ministry partner seeks out the interests of Christ over self. Look at what Paul says about Timothy once again. Verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your your welfare. But look at this in verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, what is striking here in verse 21 is that he is contrasting this group of individuals or individual that he's thinking about with the character of Timothy. I mean, in verse 21, he he says, for they all seek. In other words, he's continuing to talk about the character of Timothy. And when he's talking about the character of Timothy, he's contrasting this group of individuals, this individual that somehow, some way, had been seeking this, their own self-interests. Now, he's already talked about this. In chapter 1, verse 15, if you'll look back over there really quick. Chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. There were people... That Paul is talking about here who were taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment and suffering to somehow platform themselves and become more popular in preaching and an influence on churches. Now, Paul, what Paul's saying is that some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That's their motive. But they're preaching the accurate gospel of Jesus Christ that can transform and save anyone's life. And he's saying that's okay. God will deal with the self-centered man who stands on a stage and tries to platform himself and tries to point to himself. What is most important is that people are being rescued out of hell and into heaven. That's what brings Paul most joy. Now, there are those that were doing this. They were motivated out of this self-centeredness or having this this self-focused life over the interests of Christ himself. And this is how, this is what Paul is describing. And he's contrasting that group that he mentions in chapter 1 with Timothy himself right here in 21. For they all seek their own interests. That group that he's talking about in chapter 1, not those of Jesus Christ. Now when you seek the interests of yourself, what will typically happen in your life is that you will begin to obey your feelings. You'll begin to obey your emotions. You'll begin to make decisions in your life on logical rational thought instead of the word of God. You'll start to logically think, you know, I've got to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You'll, in your relationship, seek that. And you'll throw out of the window what that person and how that person, whether he walks with Christ or not, or whether she walks with Christ or not, that person you're trying to date, you'll throw that out the window for the sake of logic. I don't want to be lonely. I don't want this. I don't want that. Instead of getting alone with your heavenly father, focusing on him, pursuing Jesus Christ and him being your first love and letting God decide and provide when he's ready, the man or the woman that God gives you. We sometimes do that time and time again when we seek the interests of ourself over the interests of Christ. But this is what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, passage that is so familiar to us. Look at this above my head. He says that in Matthew chapter 6, he's going to go on and say when it comes to our needs. Matthew 6, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's going to say this. He's going to go on and say in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He's going to say, but first seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. That's the biblical principle. That's how we construct our life. That's how we rearrange our life, reorient our life around the purposes of Jesus Christ. We seek Jesus Christ over self. That's when he thought about Timothy, and when he's sending Timothy to this church, he's saying, this is a good ministry partner, someone who is seeking the interests of Christ over self, someone who is upward thinking, not horizontally thinking, someone who 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 focuses on what Jesus wants, focuses on honoring Christ over himself, someone who's focused on pleasing Christ over himself. And when you do that in your own personal life and what God wants you to do, he wants you to do that at the expense of sometimes putting yourself, your heart, your initiatives, your your decisions, your agendas on the altar. And you got to walk away from it and follow Christ a faithful ministry partner, someone we ought to, do, to, to 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 focus on being, someone who we build around our life as someone who seeks the interests of Christ, of herself. But Paul goes on to talk about Timothy, and he says, listen, a faithful ministry partner, when he points out Timothy's life, he says in verse 22, he's known to be a true servant of the gospel, a true servant of the gospel. Verse 22, oh, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Oh, if you're gonna be a ministry partner, if you're gonna be someone who comes alongside others, you're gonna be someone who looks and comes along the, 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 the lives of other people, then you know, be a true servant of the gospel. What is God's mission? I want to be mission-focused. I want to be mission-centered. Everything in my life, all the decisions in my life are focused around the mission because God's left me on this earth. I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, okay, God, you've woken me up. You've given me another day. You've given me more hours to live on this earth. How can I carry out your mission in my life? Why am I still here? Why do I have breath in my lungs? Why am I have a family that is around me? Why do I have this church family or these relationships or these opportunities? God, what have you called me here and why have you left me here to be? What have you left me here to be? The Philippians knew Timothy. That's his point. Verse 22, he says, uh, you know this guy, right? He's proven. Um, He was a man who was a man of character. He had a proven worth. He was tested, which means he was they, 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 had, they had processed to this, this outcome in verse 22, in verse 20, um, yeah, in verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. Paul's going to say in Romans chapter five, verse four, he's going to say, inscribing this idea of proven worth is there is this endurance that produces character. Endurance in our life produces character. Some of you are going through some stuff right now in your life. Some of you are going through some difficult things in your life, Really, really hard things. I've had conversations with you personally about it. I've prayed with some, some of you personally about these things. But what God's doing in your life, none of it is wasted. The suffering in our life is not wasted. And when we endure through those things, what it's doing is it's producing some sort of character in our life. He's producing something that is deficient in my life that God wants to produce in me. And so he's using the suffering. He's using the brokenness of this world, even now in your life and in my life, to produce something. This is what God says, or what Paul rather says about Timothy. He has this proven worth. He's reliable to the gospel. He has this proven worth. He's a true servant to it. He was always going to tell them the truth. This is what Paul says about Timothy. He's always going to tell you the truth. He's going to tell you the truth, speak the truth into your life, counsel the truth into your life, love with the gospel in mind. This is the type of person that God wants you and I to be. A faithful partner is someone who is gospel-centered. You're not just here to live a life and make money and retire and then die. There's something more that God Wants to do in your life something more spiritually significant and more powerful that God wants you to do in your life. You have influence, people around you that you can influence for Jesus Christ, both in your prayer life but in your life, in the way that you speak, in the way that you counsel, in the way that you love. So we ought to have that whatever it takes mentality, right? Whatever it takes, God, to leverage my resources, my time, my money, my family, all that God you've given me, the breath in my lungs, how can it be leveraged in order for the gospel to go forward from me? The hours that you give me, the suffering that I find myself in, the laying in the hospital bed wishing I was out, how can you leverage this time now in a hospital bed completely incapacitated? I want to be home, I want to be my lazy boy, I want to be healthy, but now how can you leverage that for you, Jesus? Nurse can I impact and influence? What family member can I point to Jesus Christ in the, even in the midst of my suffering when they come around me as not a Christian, not a believer, and they come around me and say, you know, Aunt such and such, or grandma, I just wish you were out of the hospital, or oh, let me tell you about my Jesus. You have an opportunity to do that. You leverage the time, you leverage the life that God gives you in order to carry that on to point people to Jesus Christ. So we're to be a true servant of the gospel of whatever it takes mentality. God, whatever you say, I'm there. Put my yes on the table. Whatever God you want me to do, okay, I'm there. I'm willing to do whatever God you want me to do. Paul goes on to say about Timothy, listen, here's what a gospel partner looks like, a ministry partner looks like. Someone who is faithful is someone who is accountable to a father-son relationship. I love this someone who is open and open to being teachable, open to having authority over their life, open to having accountability, people speaking into their life. And look at verse 22 again. This is what he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, and this is when he goes on to say this, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. How was he proven? Well, we don't know fully. It doesn't say but he was a man of character. He was a man who was reliable, Timothy was. He had this mentor-discipleship, disciple relationship between Timothy and Paul. That's why when you read First and Second Timothy, you see that relationship that exists there, that comes out there. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, he's going to call, Paul's going to call Timothy, my child. They understand the relationship that exists there, this young minister, this young person, in this older man who was speaking into his life. Paul saw himself, Paul saw Timothy rather, as someone who served, someone who was fulfilling duty in his life, someone who was an honorable person in his life. He was faithful and he was, lo- uh, he was willing to live, live under accountability or authority in his life. want to be a faithful ministry partner, seek accountability. Seek people to speak into your life, to influence your life, to encourage your life. Don't just see yourself as an independent person. But you see yourself in that vein. I think this is what Paul is talking about when he says in Timothy chapter 2 about the life of the church. There are older men and younger men. There are older women and younger women. Listen to what he says here in Titus 2. He's going to go on and say, but as for you, Titus 2, teach what according to sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Men in the church, and you consider yourself older, you, you come up with that age. But, but my point is that well, this is what we're striving to be. This is, not, this is who I am. This is who I'm striving to be. If I'm an older man, I'm a sober-minded. I'm striving to be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women Paul's going to say to Titus, listen, this is what you ought to teach older women that their role is in the local church. Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Don't get on the phone and start gossiping about people. No, don't tear people down that you don't know. Slaves too much. Wine. They are to teach what is good. To, 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 so to train young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure and working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled, and show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that opponent may be able to put you to shame, leaving nothing evil to say about us. There is a, there's, a, there's a method to the madness, if you will, in the local church. How the church functions, how the family, the church family functions, we understand this we learn this i love talking to men about this issue and this idea of iron sharpening iron you know that po- that proverb it's so used so many times the proverbs 27 17 says iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another how do you sharpen a piece of iron another piece of iron and you sharpen it how do you sharpen your character When you're butting up against another man who has high character, you're sharpening your character. You're learning what is not right. You're learning what is right. You're being held accountable. Listen, we ought to seek that in our lives and the people around me. We ought to let people into our lives, and we ought to be active and engaging in people's lives as well. The held accountable to this father-son relationship. Finally, this is what Paul says about Timothy. Don't miss it. Because what he says is, be a person who is willing to go when and where they're needed. Go when and where they're needed. Now, don't miss this. In verse 19, and then he comes back in verse 23. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by your news. Then he comes back in verse 23. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. He wanted to send Timothy. He wanted Timothy to to go to the Philippians. Growing up in southeast Virginia, I grew up around the military. I've said that from time to time. I grew up watching the aircraft carriers being built at the Newport News shipyard. I grew up around the military and in all branches of the military, the Navy. The thing about the Navy SEALs is they're one text message away from stepping onto a plane and going anywhere in the world for our freedom, to take care of something. When you think about Langley Air Force Base, one of the famous Air Force bases that is there, there in southeast Virginia, not too far from where my parents live, planes are flying over their house all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm talking, talking to my dad on the phone, and he's like, okay, stop a second. We have to wait about 10 seconds because the planes are going over top of their house. That's how close they are to Langley Air Force Base. Pilots living in their neighborhood, and that's their job is to train and practice every day. But there at the end of the tarmac in Langley Air Force Base, there is a little hangar that has a small runway that comes right onto the main tarmac. Inside that hangar are F 22 fighter jets. And there's a series of four to six of them. And you know what they are? They're always ready, they're always gassed up, they're always refueled, they're always loaded with munitions. And the pilots are always sitting right there. And in a matter of just two or three minutes, when something happens in Washington, D.C., they're scrambled, they get inside of their jets, they come out of the hangar, and they gun it right up the, the runway straight north to D.C. And they're always ready to protect the nation's capital. When I think about Timothy, and when I think about my own life, and when I think about you, and I think about us, We are to be a people that are concerned with others. We are to be a people as a church, as individuals that seek the interest of Christ. We are known to be true servants of the gospel. We are known to be people who are accountable, but we are also willing to go when and where God wants us to go. That's that yes on the table. That's that faithfulness God wants us to have, to be willing to do whatever Jesus Christ calls us to do, what his word calls us to do, to do whatever he calls us to do. So, don't put restrictions on God. Don't say, Well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I got to do this, I got to do that. When God speaks, and when God is asking you, when He's calling you in the Spirit of God, let the Spirit of God come into your heart and speak into your life. And then be obedient to listen and to act and to move. On the amazing scenes about President George H.W. Bush's funeral, you remember it in 2018 his body left Houston on a train, never seen anything like it, and on that train, it made its way from Houston to College Station where he was laid to rest. His body was laid to rest, and along the way, if you remember the footage back then, along the way, there were videos and images of the small towns that that train was going through, and there was his his casket in the windows. There and is, but, but, but all the way from Houston to College Station, along the way, at different places, at different stops, there are just videos of people standing out there, waving, military veterans standing there saluting, children with American flags waving, and people thanking him and honoring him for his service, for his faithfulness. Oh, I think about heaven and what it will be like when every faithful follower of Jesus Christ steps from this life in the brokenness of the world and steps into eternity. You see, faithfulness is not always rewarded here, but faithfulness is 100% rewarded in heaven, which is why God says, right, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, church, we are to be an army of faithful partners, people that have that kind of quality, to be known by that. Work to be one. Work to surround yourself with them, and serve the Lord in that way. Be faithful to Christ and be faithful to His church. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. And as we pray together and as we spend time just singing and worshiping the Lord. I want to remind you this morning that what God calls us to is just that faithfulness. Well, so there in your seats, or if you want to come up, just come forward and pray. Talk to the Lord. Say where you're seated. That's okay. Come and sit on front rows here, but pray and commit yourself to being a faithful partner in this to God. I want to be that. I want to be that. I want to be a part of what God you want to do in me in the people around me, in my class, in my church, in my family. I want to be that. Be committed to that. God will lead you and he will help you. He will guide you. His spirit lives inside of you. He uses his spirit and his word to transform you and change you. Commit to that right now. Ask the Lord for it. You can come forward if you want right now. If you want to come and give your life to Jesus Christ, God wants your heart. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus says, whoever believes in him, whoever's willing to say yes to Jesus Christ and allow him to be the savior and Lord of your life, to turn away from sin, oh, he will come into your life and he will save you. And he will cause you to be born again, a new person. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, here at the front, there are people here that are willing to pray with you. If you want to come and join Central Baptist Church as members, you come forward. If you want to come and be baptized and say, I want to follow through with believer's baptism. I don't know if, I'm, if, if I've followed through with that or not. Maybe, maybe that's you. You come forward. Get that right with Christ. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, thank you this morning for the example that you give us, but also, Lord, the examples of others that we can point to in Scripture, that we can model our life around. Timothy was no perfect man. Paul certainly was no perfect man, but we thank you for saving them with the same gospel power that you've saved us with. So if they can walk with you and they can, Lord, live through this life, so can we. We can strive to be the men and women, the children and teenagers you've called us to be. We give you this time, Lord. We pray that you would be honored and glorified with our worship in response to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us and let's sing. Praise the
1: Lord, His mercy is mine. your voice and sing praise the Lord praise the Lord
3: can be seated. A great song to take us out of our worship service this morning. Before we leave, we do want to give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord this morning as we worship Him through our giving. And we're going to do that in just a moment. And so you can give, of course, um, in three ways here at our church. You can give, of course, in person here before you leave. You can also give online. You can also drop it off at the church office, as Joel mentioned earlier, in the service. So three ways we want to commit these tithes and these offerings to the Lord. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to pray over that in just a moment. Um, I want to mention next Sunday, we have our next new members class, um, which will be um, at uh, at 11 o'clock. It'll be right through these doorways, across the hallway. So if you are visiting our church and you want information on our church, it's not a commitment to to join Central yet. But if you want to learn about Central and you want to um, get to know me a little bit more and I want to get to know you, we, uh, we meet over there. And I teach that, I lead that, and it'll be a great discussion between the 11 and 12 hour uh, during our Bible study hour. So that'll be next Sunday. Um, just show up and we'll be prepared and planned for you, okay? Um, one Bible study class that started this past Wednesday night, it's a small group class on Wednesday nights. I'm actually facilitating and leading it um, called Disciplines of a Godly Man. Great book. We had a great group of men that started in that this past Wednesday. It's one of those studies that's designed that, you know, if, uh, if you if haven't been a part of a Bible study or you didn't come to the first few, it's not building necessarily on each other and so it's okay that you miss the first week you can just jump into chapter two chapter three we're reading a chapter week we're discussing it and we're getting into groups and just talking about it and so that's going to be on that's on wednesday nights Um, at the same time we have the two ladies bible studies that are meeting during the week so we have three options for adults right now on wednesday nights and so i just want to mention that very quickly this morning with that said i want you to stand with me and let's have a quick word of prayer and let's commit our tithes and our offerings to the lord okay God, we thank you this morning just once again as we come to the end of this service for your presence. God, as we think about you, we give you praise and we give you glory for who you are. We seek you together over the next 21 days. As we pick up these guides today before we leave, Lord, we're gonna take time the next three weeks and we're gonna seek you together. We're gonna pray for some very important things in our own hearts, in our families, and in our church. God, we pray that you would use it that you, Lord, would bear much fruit through it. And God, now as we give to you our tithes and our offerings, God, would you find us generous? Would you find us faithful? Would you find us, Lord, um, cheerful um, in the way that we give to you? So, Lord, would you take our tithes and would you take our offerings over and above our tithes uh, and use them, Lord, to multiply so that we can do ministry here, God, you know, locally, but also around the world. We love you, Lord. We pray that you'd go with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.
1: Worthy you are